Jesus in our life. And God, we pray tonight that we would come to the truth that only you satisfy. Everything else is an invitation. Everything else is second best. God, only you satisfy. Help us tonight. As we open your word, we find you, Lord. Meet us now. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen? Amen. Can we give our band a hand? Well, it's great being uh, back here. Uh, last week, I was gone. Uh, Camille and I celebrated seven years of marriage. Whoa. She also had her birthday, too, and which is really awesome. And um, it's uh, kind of like the trip before the baby comes. They call it the baby moon. So we took a baby moon, and we had the time of our life. And it was, it was so much fun. We had this... Uh, and I know it's like really annoying when someone goes out and is doing fun things and they, you know, post things on Facebook. I know that's like really annoying. But it's like try not to over Facebook like our view. But we, outside our, our place, we had this 180 degree unobstructed view of the ocean. And it was so just amazing just to like rejuvenate and just replug back in and just get away. And uh, we had like these geese that would like come like this huge parade, you know, by our, our little place. And I... I love ducks. There's something in my childhood, I, I love ducks somehow. Um, have you seen that, like, that cat video of the woman who's crying about cats? I'm almost like that with ducks. I just want to hug them all. Um, and so like these couple geese came by and I started feeding them. And uh, so we had these two geese that adopted us. And the next morning, we hear this honking outside of our window. We're like, what on earth? And these two geese are like honking at our little door. And so I open it up, and like I bring, like, I, of course, I have to take them inside. Now, I can't feed them outside, so I'm like feeding them in our little living room, and it was so awesome. And um, I was calling myself the, the duck whisperer, you know, and Camille was so annoyed by that, because I just wouldn't let it go. I'd milk it for everything. It's like, you know, they would come back, and I'd keep on feeding them. And they'd like fall asleep outside our door, and I was like, yeah, you know. It's so meaningless in the grand scheme of things, but it was important to me at the time. Um, but it's awesome, and uh, it's been fun just being the season of life with Camille being pregnant. And she looks so good for being pregnant. I don't think she's here yet, but um, uh, or maybe she's at home. I don't know. I know she's working. She's a veterinarian, so life is crazy. But uh, she's we're like T minus two months until baby's getting here. And um, but she looks great. I mean, because sometimes you see like a woman who's pregnant, and you're like, oh Jesus, have mercy on that woman. You're just like, <laughs> release mercy on her. You know, you're like. Holy cow, but life has been great. Of course, um, and like you, you see like the worst out of all these circumstances around when people go through similar states of, li- states of life. Oh man, on to holier things. So uh, last week, Sean was here, and I, I tuned in live, and um, I, I don't know, I just, I couldn't detach. I had to be here and check it out, and Sean delivered a great word. Can we give him a little hand? I don't know if he's watching live. That's great. I love that guy. And uh, he left us off in Ephesians chapter 5. If you have a, a Bible with you, turn over there. And uh, what I want you guys to do is you're flipping there, is uh, I just want you to partner with me and just to agree in prayer about tonight's message. Because we're going to talk about the will of God. And I don't think there's any human being on earth who's qualified to speak on the will of God besides God. So um, we're just going to hide behind his word and we're going to look at his truth. And if it offends us, so be it. Because that's his word. I'm not going to sugarcoat it. I'm not going to shoehorn an easy gospel for us. I'm not going to give us, 
you know, something that's not in the Word, so let's just pray now. God, we just pray that you would, God, just release grace on us. God, that's what we need right now. Lord, we need grace to understand your word. God, if something is so complex and so deep and profound and important as your will, Lord, we pray that every single word that would proceed from my mouth right now would be taken over by the authority of the Holy Spirit. God, that the Holy Spirit would speak and teach us. Lord, we don't want to hear from any wisdom of man or any clever thoughtfulness, but Lord, it has got to be about you. And so we just pray now that our eyes and ears and hearts would be opened to hear the truth and the revelation, God, of your will and of your intention for us. Lord, we just pray that your word would stand alone. It doesn't need any compromise. It doesn't need any addition to it, Lord. We just stand and hide behind it now. In Jesus' name, amen. Are you guys ready? It's going to be awesome. Ephesians chapter 5. We're not going to go very far. We're going to start in verse 15. And we're only going to go about six or seven verses here. So verse 15 says, Therefore, be careful. Everyone say careful. Be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of your time. Everyone say most of. Most of your time because the days are evil. So then do not be foolish, but understand. Everyone say understand. The will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. Speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord. Always giving thanks for all the things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God, even the Father. And be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. It's awesome. Oh man, we're going to get our butts rocked tonight. All right? So there's, there's three things out of here that this text tells us. The first is that we're to be careful. The second is that we're to be purposeful. And the third is that we're to be powerful. Those are three principles that we have to look at the scripture and the instruction for us for how we're to live. We're supposed to live carefully. We're supposed to live purposefully. And we're supposed to live powerfully. I love it. I, uh, I love being friends with so many guys because so many guys post inspirational things on Facebook and I steal them for my messages. And... Um, I've been picking on Colin over there a bunch. Not Colin, but Colin. Um, wait, wave your hand, Colin, there. All right, cool. Um, and this is great. This is a C.S. Lewis quote. It says, We're not necessarily doubting that God will do the best for us. We are wondering how painful the best will turn out to be. Is that not true? Let me read this again. We're not necessarily doubting that God will do the best for us. We're just wondering how painful his best will be. Man. I really wrestled with my faith because I'll tell you what, when I, when I came in, it's like, okay, God is real. Okay, I know that. Now, if God's real and I really have a, a legitimate relationship with him that I have to be a missionary, I have to do something crazy. And, and I, I always shy away because I was like, God, I know if I really give my life to you, it's going to be really painful, not the things I want. Any of you guys relate to that? You're like, you kind of fear like, man, if I get close to the God, I'm going to be one of those weird people now. I, I've been trying to avoid that my entire life, but I know that if I do it, you know. And that's such a lie. Holy cow. Like, that's, that's so lame. That the creator of the universe, that we have to be embarrassed by, what, what does it look like when we are face-to-face with, with, with Christ? Why are we so concerned about the lameness of our exterior life? And God's not a lame God. We're lame. We're just lame interpreters of his goodness. 
So we're going to spit out the seeds and take the fruit here for what God's will is for us. And it's not scary. So first, verse 15, therefore live carefully. And to be careful is to think ahead. It is to save ourselves a lot of headache and hassle. It's amazing how a little bit of forethought in our life will will make all the difference. Case in point, you know exactly your weaknesses in your life. I like to think about that the enemy has my number. Like, you know, if if he's going to to do the perfect scenario where I'm in the, the perfect mood, I'm in the, the perfect uh, place or whatever, and, and I'm like set for temptation. I think about what is going on in those circumstances, and I try and work like, how do I avoid that? I try and think of what is the enemy's game plan for my life? What is the game plan that the enemy has for your life? What is that thing where you're a little more susceptible, that thing that you're just like, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm tempted by that. We need to be thinking ahead. We need to think five steps ahead of what the enemy is going to do. A couple analogies. If, if you have an issue with alcohol and you're walking down the street and you're like, man, I could go for some peanuts. And there's a bar. And you're like, well, I just, you know, free peanuts at a bar. I mean, I can do that. I mean, that's not thinking ahead. That's not being very careful. If you have a, a horrible addiction to chocolate, you probably shouldn't go tour Ghirardelli Square and go and like, and like, you know, see all the wonderful chocolates that are there. It's like, you don't need to do it. You're not going to pick up the swimsuit edition of Sports Illustrated magazine just because you're like, curious. Well, I want to see if like, you know, the new Nike ad is in there somewhere. You know, like it's, it doesn't make any sense. Think about your life and try and say, okay, I, I can't give myself any excuse. I know my own weaknesses and I need to live carefully in response to that. I live in accountability with a couple guys. And, you know, and what I tell them is, here are the ways that I'm susceptible to temptation. In, in the moment where I'm not, right? Because it's always the worst when, like, you're, you're flying the red flag and, like, you're, you're bailing for help. That's the worst time to seek someone's help. What you need is you need to have a relationship with somebody who you can do life with. And you can tell them, these are the, the, the five areas, or maybe it's ten, or maybe it's one. It doesn't matter. You tell someone, like, this is the area that I, I think that I'm susceptible for. And I need you to know that when we live life together, you see me wandering in these areas, that you come and stick up for me. And we're going to talk about what that means. So whenever I, I have life that kind of changes phases or stages or places, I have friends that are always looking out for me, and they bring it up, and it's great. Because now I'm living carefully with my life. There's too much at stake. There's too much at stake for your life to not be careful with what is going on before you. Amen? I need a little more noise in here. Amen? Come on now. <laughs> the next, verse 16 says, make the most of your time because the days are evil. Make the most of your time. This is to live purposefully. The days are evil. Make the most of your time. Let me ask you a question. Is life happening to you or are you happening to life? Are you happening to life or is life happening to you? Are you in like react mode? Like, you know, think of like a pinball, you like, you hit it, it's like, beam, 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 beam. I mean, are you always like reacting to the forces of nature and life? Or are you like forging the ship in the storm? Are you happening to life? Are you giving life the biggest butt whooping it's ever had? <laughs> it's like, no, no amen to that, you know? <laughs> amen. I know a couple of you guys, you guys put the hurt on. But here's the, the key word here, this, the making the most. The Greek word there, I don't even know how to say it, but it's exaggerozo. Whatever that means. Well, I'll tell you what it means. It means to buy back and to redeem. What? To buy back. Now, now let me give you this idea. 
that we live life not owning our time. When we don't own our time, life rules our schedule. It rules our priorities. It rules our choices. If you, we never saw Jesus running around late anywhere, like panicked, right? No, he was happening to life. He's like, yeah, someone's dead. I'm going to heal him in two days anyways. Like, I'm not worried about it. I'm like, I got it all planned out. Jesus put the hurt on life, and he did not react. We have a generation that's always in reaction. We're going to wait until it festers and becomes a problem. I have this horrible issue where I will try and drive my truck as far as it will go until it runs out of gas. I know exactly how far. I've only run out of gas like twice, <laughs> and my wife hates it, you know, but I'm always like, man, like, try not to do it, you know. I'm like trying to milk it for it because I don't want to stop at a gas station. I don't want to like, you know, prepare for that. I, I know if I would have gotten home early, I could have stopped by, but I always try to milk it because I'm not planning about it. Now, that, that's a, a small thing, but we need to look at our lives, and we need to, to say, are we buying back our time? Are we choosing to reserve that space in our life? I love that concept that we need to buy back our time from the world. The time that we have, I don't think is really ours unless we really fight for it. I, I, I look at my life, I'm self-employed. I should have all the time in the world to make my own schedules, all those things, that, that's correct. But I feel like it is a challenge and a struggle and a trial to get a night by myself with my wife. I have to like physically like just, it's almost like lifting weights. It's like, gosh, this is so hard. We have to buy back our time. We have to take what is ours of this life, and we have to decide to live it, not react to it. A great quote I have from Dwight Hill. Some of you guys know him. And I don't know if this guy, this is, I I know a few modern-day apostles, and this is one of them. Maybe all two that I I think I know. And he says, and I'm just like, "How, how on earth, you know, do you have the ministry you do? I mean, he's global, and he says, I was used by God because I was available. I was used by God because I was available. Isn't that powerful? We need to decide that we're available for God. And so part of that is like, how do you even begin to approach that? Oh, I love things like that. That's great. How do we approach that? Do you, do you have like a mission for your life? I'm, I, when I go on vacation, I read a lot of, like, business books, and not even business books. I got, like, the summary. Like, it condenses all the, like, you know, fat books into, like, a 10-page summary for me. It's great. For the ADD, you're like, oh, I can't read all of it. I'll read this, though, you know. And business books, they're like, the first 40 pages, great. The, the next 150, horrible, because they're just, like, redundant. But a lot of them are talking about like the, the, the calling, the vision, the mission statement. Do you know why you exist? Do you know why your life is here on earth as opposed to nothing? If you don't have a real justification and real grasp on the significance of your life, why you're on, on earth here, then aren't you just wasting oxygen? If you don't have that understanding, how does the world have that understanding? How do you think God feels about someone who's like, I don't even know what I was put on earth for, here for? It certainly wasn't to work. It certainly wasn't to get married or have babies or do those different things. No. What is your life mission? Why is there something and not nothing? Each of you were made with a purpose. And it becomes something where you have to remind yourself about it. And it became such an issue for me because what happened is, as we're talking about not buying the time, is that I would just kind of react to all things that, that happened to me. And so I'd always continue going back to like, okay, what is my, you know, why do I exist? I exist to be the best husband and father in the world. And I exist to be the best entrepreneur in the world. 
And I exist to replicate others who will do the same. And I kept on going back to that, that unless this decision of mine goes through that, then I got to say no. I would love to be involved in that or this or that. Like I have a million ideas and passions and random things I can waste endless time on. But it doesn't fit that model anymore. And as my time becomes more valuable and time is precious, I need to decide the decisions I'm going to make have to flow through that filter. It's so bad, and I'm addicted to my phone. As I even made myself a little JPEG, because my phone like practically rules my life. And it's right there. I, I, I have it, and it gives me my, my principles. These are, this is what I stand for. This is why I exist. And from this, it helps me buy back my time. It's my mission. And then we, we, we kind of get confused because maybe we don't know what God's mission is either. We don't know how we relate into it. So let me tell you. So God's mission is super simple. It's to get 7 billion people out of hell and into heaven. It's his mission. In short, it's really easy. Easy to remember, right? So you're like, how on earth do I, you know, manage that? Well, 7 billion people is a lot of people. So he made all of us unique. So A one-size-fits-all doesn't work with 7 billion people, so that's why he made us all super unique, is so that we could relate with 7 billion people and be relevant. Your passion for music, it is for God's purpose that you would meet and have fellowship with other people that are musically gifted. Your ability to communicate or to teach or to be an entrepreneur or to sing or, I mean, to draw, to be an artist, you fill in the blank. These are all conduits. These are all common denominators that we would partner with God to bring those 7 billion people into heaven. Simple. And he's just asking us just to respond, like, just be who you are, who I made you to be. I'll be honest with you, I struggled for a long time trying to be somebody else, especially in this stage. I hear people like, oh, if only I could be funny. Like, the most annoying thing is my wife is so dang funny, and she doesn't even try. It's like, that's so annoying. You're not even trying, you know, and everyone's cracking up. Oh, and I have like in my notes, like, insert joke here, and it's like, moving on, you know. It's horrible. But I'm, that, that's, that's not me. It's all right. I'm over it. I got to be me. I got to know that God made me uniquely to partner his vision. I think we need to get over that, uh, that God is pleased with bland mediocrity. I don't think he's really pleased by that. He didn't use all the forces in the heaven to niche you and to create you just to simply exist. He created you for something bigger and better. All right, verse 17, 18. So then, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine for that dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. That word filled there, it's not like a one-time filling. This is a continual filling, an overflowing filling. It means that we continually reconnect with God so that we live out of an overflow of our life. There's been this powerful metaphor that keeps on coming to me with a, a close friend. And I have this vision of this, this jar of salty water. And, and we all come and we come with different degrees of, of how life has kind of soured us, right? Maybe some of us had awful upbringings. We had horrible deck of cards. We live in a consequential world where we live in the parameters and boundaries of other people's consequences. Maybe your life had a really rough start because someone else's poor choices. That's the, the reality of what we live in. But I have this vision of, of this, this pitcher that, that's full of salty water, and God is the fresh water. And he's pouring into that pitcher, and the water is overflowing, and eventually it becomes fresh water. Eventually the fresh water outweighs the salty water. 
And it's just overflowing, and we need to look at God and say, God, we live in a fallen, crazy world. We need to be continually filled so that we get all the impure, impurities and imperfections, all that stuff out, and that you would cleanse us. Only when we're connected with the source will we ever find true peace. Will we ever find true satisfaction. And that's what he's saying is like, be continually filled. Not just, I need to be filled one time. No, we need to be continually filled with the Spirit. And this is to live powerfully. And you cannot walk powerfully without knowing the will of God and being filled with His Spirit. You cannot walk powerfully without knowing the will of God and being filled with His Spirit. What does that mean? What on earth is the will of God already, right? And like, good grief, get to verse 17. Key word here understand. Be sure that you understand. Meaning, the will of God is not this crazy complex, I don't know what's the Da Vinci Code will of God. It's like, hey McFly, make sure you understand this. It's great. You're like, all right, I'll figure it out. Let's turn over, you know. It's, it, it's not something that's to be this, this um, you know, some, a rug is pulled out from us or a little, we're not, it's not a carrot stick we're being like drug along. God has said, I'm going to make my will plainly obvious to you in many ways. But we as people often get it wrong. We as people take the principle of the will of God and then we totally jack it up. And we we make it into something that it's not. And I ask you right now as we go into the section to just clean your hearts because some of you guys might get offended at some of these, these truths we're going to cover. Some of you might not like what the implications are, and so be it. This is the, the word of the Lord. What on earth is the will of God? Really, really simple on a large scale. The will of God is that you reflect his glory. The will of God is that you reflect his glory. Or in, I guess, modern vernacular, you would say it's like, you glorify him, right? I never knew what that meant. You know, I was like, really? But like, think, the sun. The sun casts light upon the moon. The moon has no light of itself. The moon merely reflects the light that's coming from the sun. We are to reflect the glory, the, the goodness of Jesus. That is the entire will of God, like on a high level, okay? That's it. Pretty simple. Now we can get a couple really short specifics, and there's not too many of them, and here they are. The known will of God, because we're going to, just real quick, there's a known will of God, and then there's the unknown will of God, and that's where we totally blow it. That's where we struggle. That's where we have all of our disagreements. The known will of God is right here in black and white. The known will of God is this, to love God and to love people. Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven through 40 says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Here's the key passage. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Meaning that do not kill, steal, you know, all those things. Covet, you know, all that stuff. It's all fulfilled in loving God and loving people. The second known thing about the will of God, and this is surprising, is your attitude. Did you know that your attitude is the will of God? You're like, bummer, you know. (laughs) And like, oh, pretending to be a squirrel. 1 Thessalonians 5.18 says this, Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. It doesn't get more direct than that, right? I mean, there you are. The will of God. Perfect. It's our response to our attitudes and the response to circumstances. He's like, 
I don't care what the consequential circumstances in your life did. Your responsibility, the will of God, is that you would be happy in all circumstances. This is great news because we have a choice in our attitude. Many of us don't know that. Many of us think like, oh, my attitude is based on what happens, not my choice. You know, we have the freedom to choose our attitude. I heard it say this way, that the ultimate freedom is the ability to choose the right response. As you have the ownership of how you respond. It doesn't matter if your dog got ran over, you got fired, you had, you know, all in the same day. It doesn't matter. Like, those, your response to, in reflecting Jesus is to say, Jesus, you own my attitude. I'm going to be thankful in all circumstances. I'm going to be thankful in every single circumstance. The third and the last explicitly known will of God is your purity and the helping of others preserve their purity. And this is two heavy things. Your purity. 1 Thessalonians 4, 3 through 6 says, It is God's will that you should be sanctified, meaning separated, set apart, that you should avoid sexual immorality, that each of you should learn to control your own body in a way that is holy and honorable, not in passionate lust like the pagans who do not know God. And that is, in this manner, no one should wrong or take advantage of a brother or sister. Did you catch that? Your, the will of God for your life is to be set apart, is to be holy, is to keep your temple pure. Why? 1 Corinthians 3 says that our bodies are God's temple, and his spirit lives within us. It also says 1 Corinthians 6.18 that sexual sin is the only sin against our own body. All of this sin is outside of it. But sexual sin is the only one that goes against our body. It's the only one that goes against the temple of God. Now, why does this matter? Because, I mean, honestly, like, don't we kind of think like, ah, Jesus, you're going to rain on my parade again. You know, like, really? You know, why, why does he make such a big deal about our purity? Why is our purity the will of God? Think about it this way. I hate running. Okay? But if I did run, and I want to be a professional runner, do you, have, have you ever, let's even say biking, right? Have you ever seen Lance Armstrong in McDonald's? Have you ever seen him like just chowing down on like a huge Big Mac, and then like polishing off with like a milkshake? No. You, you, when you want to be in a, in a certain condition, in a state, when you want to be in a state in which he is ready for the competition, he is ready to be at his prime, he, in that state, must abstain from the things that will wage war against his body. If you want to be face-to-face with God, if you want to hear God, you must abstain from the things that wage war against God's temple. How can God's temple be preserved when you are allowing and freely having the onslaught of the sexual sin over it? And God's like, man, how on earth can we have these two together? That's why he makes such a big deal of it, is that we are God's temple. And it's not just the sin against us, it's against his personhood, who he is. And the second part of that is super convicting, is that we would not take advantage of a brother or sister. I'm not talking about money here. We know that we have power in relationships, and we can make decisions, and we can push the envelope. We can slowly edge the boundary. That's taking advantage of your brother or sister. And so we are to preserve ourselves. We are to preserve and fight on the behalf of the, the purity of others around us. It's a powerful truth. We, we must not remove ourselves from the opportunity to meet God. Our purity and preserving ourselves 
keeps us in a position to hear God's voice clearly. Because I'll tell you what, when, when we enter into the realm of, of physical temptation and sexual sin, is it's like we walk into a room with all the, the loudspeakers and like a rave. I'll tell you what, the most difficult times I've ever had to hear from God are the times that I was struggling sexually. Is that every voice is coming at you. you. You can't hear. God is still speaking, but the volume on everything else is just suddenly turned up and ramped up. And so when we preserve ourselves, when we help preserve others, they are in the position, the state, the place where they can hear God clearly. Amen? Hebrews 12, 14 says this, Without holiness, no one will see God. Without holiness, no one will see God. That basically is meaning that in the midst, and I, I like to think of it this way, fill in the blank for whatever physical temptation, whatever it is. Could you, like, glorify God in there? You're like, Jesus, be glorified in this action, right? No. That's not going to work very well. You're not going to feel very good about it. We set ourselves apart so that we would see God. This has nothing to do about salvation. This has the, the total truth of how much do you want to see God? How much do you want to hear from God? I think God is okay. It's like, God will take whatever he can get. But unless we put ourselves in a position to see God, we're going to have a really hard time. Now, the unknown will of God. So that basically is all the Bible basically says in the will of God, essentially. There's not a whole lot beyond that. That's explicit. It's very, very straightforward on those principles. But we, 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 we totally agonize over like, do I pick the red car or the blue car? What is the will of God? You know, like we, we totally stress out over it. You know, like Michael Jr., I think is the guy, and he talks about people who are oversaved, you know? And, you know, like they're like, man, should I have the bean burrito or the taco? God help, you know? And they, they over-spiritualize everything. And it's kind of funny you know, and, and I would rather inject God in all the places he doesn't want to be than not have him anywhere at all, okay? So I get that. I'd much rather err on that side. It's always better to be oversaved than undersaved. <laughs> but we, we, we try and figure out where God's will is in the places that he's naturally silent. We need to understand that, that God gives us explicit instructions here. And a lot of the area, and I would argue almost all the rest of the area, God is rather silent on it. That kind of bothers us, huh? Because we're control freaks. We want to know, like, what's my assignment? You know, what is the thing I can control? Tell me and I'll do it. And we, do, we don't like that God gives us a little bit of space there to figure out what his will. This is the unknown will of God. And it's, it's hard because we don't really have the whole concept of, of time and organizational space of understanding that God knows the end from the beginning. So we, we, we kind of think that, you know, whatever happens is the will of God, but that's not how it is. We have the personal ability to totally jack up our lives. Any one of you guys can go out those doors or even wherever, and you can totally ruin your lives, and God is not going to intervene if you want to do that. We pray to God that he does, that he swarts the schemes of the enemy, but we have the free ability to totally mess up God's best. Are you with me? That we have a personal responsibility to say, God, you have laid out a blueprint, and you've given a blueprint for what your best is for my life. And I have the opportunity to follow in that and to experience the best, but I also have the opportunity to really mess it up too. 
God gives us extraordinary choice in determining our own life. God gives us extraordinary choice, the privilege to determine our own life. Catch this verse. Everyone of you guys should write this verse and write it on your wall, or your mirror, wherever, everywhere. Isaiah 1.18 says, Come now and let us reason together. Though your sins are as scarlet, they will be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they will be like wool. This is so powerful. Are you understanding that, that God has given us the privilege to reason with him? What? Isn't that crazy? Like, come now, let us reason together. God's not like a little puppet master. He's like, come, let, it, let us plan your life together. Man, this would be awesome. He's like, let's do it together. But we think that God is like totally just manipulating us. Maybe not all of us, but I think like at a certain point, I, I really wrestled with that. And I think it's really interesting because why on earth would God give, let us get together? And then the very next thing he says, that though your sins were scarlet. Because don't we, th- don't we think that our sins are the thing that disqualify us from even speaking with God? Isn't that comforting to know that we could have messed up four seconds ago, which in here would have been a little awkward. I don't know what happened. But <laughs> he says, despite that, we will go and we'll reason together. And I think it's great because he gives that command. He says, let's go reason together. And it's a reminder because he knows that we're all messed up. He knows that we're thinking about that we've been disqualified. We've been X'd out of it. We've been, you know, off the scoreboard. Sorry, you're the biggest loser. You know, you're those things where like you don't get to, to partake. And so he knows that. But what do we do is we're like, what is God's will for who I will marry? Right? Or like, what is God's will for my career? Or what is God's will for where I'm going to live? And what are his plans? What are his plans? Dang it, you know. And you guys know like the verse, Jeremiah 29, 11, and we're like, for I know the plans I have for you. You know, we got the necklace. We got the little bracelet. We post it on Facebook, you know. We're like, oh, he has a plan. And what we do is, is, is we totally remove ourselves out of that. And what does it say? It's like, I have a plan. God has a plan. And, what, and everyone misses what the next verses are. It says, and you will seek me and you will find me and I will be found by you. That's the plan. The plan is that you would have intimacy with the creator of the universe. The plan is not that he's going to orchestrate who you're going to marry, where you're going to live, what car you're going to drive. You know, all those things. But we, we try and shoehorn Jesus into giving us a dictation of like, tell me exactly what it is. Or worse, I call it surfer theology because from Santa Barbara, you have all these guys who surf and I roomed with these guys and, you know, like they would sit around on the couch and, and you know, flip the channels. I'm just waiting for God to tell me what to do. And I would like, I didn't understand it then because I wasn't, you know, studying the Bible like, you know, like my life now where like I need to, but I just like, God doesn't fit that gap there. Like, you know, come on. Like, he's not going to say, Dave, why don't you go there? You know, he's not going to do that. And so we're going to spend a lot of our time waiting for God to speak on something he's waiting for us to make the first move. God's like, I will reason with you. Come, let's reason together. Let's figure this out. But we, we miss it, and it bothers us because we... We want an excuse out of our personal responsibilities. It's much easier to blame someone for a poor outcome than it is to take responsibility ourselves. And when God's will is in there, we talk about things like 
predestination and like, oh, it's, it's God's, you know, will and plan. Like, we, 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 we do a great injustice when we take the consequences of our own decisions and stamp the will of God on it. Amen? Let me say that one more time. We do a great injustice when we have the free will to live our lives and we have a consequence and we label it the will of God. The will of God is not for you to get a divorce. Why on earth would someone say, God led me to this person, we married and we divorced, it must be God's will. That is not the loving God that I serve. God is not going to set you up for failure to teach you a lesson. That is not the God of the Bible. Let us re- refresh ourselves that the God's will is that we glorify him. We reflect him. We reflect the glory of God. Marriage is not a requirement to that. Did you get that? In order for you to glorify Jesus, get out of my face. (laughs) In order for you to glorify God, marriage is not a requirement. Bummer, man. Someone else I was talking to this past week was like, you know, I just was told that, you know, God's will is for me to get married and I can't do anything to mess it up. And we're like, oh, Father, you know. And maybe, maybe, maybe that's your mentality. I, I, I challenge you, like, where in the God does it promise us those things? Where in the Bible does it promise that I'm going to have a nice car or a nice house? I can't find it. The only thing I can, I can find is that he says, I will be face to face with you. I will bless you. And when you seek me, you will find me. And the rest of that he leaves up to us. The will of God cannot be a scapegoat for our personal inaction or responsibilities. We cannot scapegoat the will of God based on what we do with our life. So what does the unknown will of God sound like? You know what the unknown will of God sounds like right here? Everyone, make sure you get this. You have a little son. And the son's like, Daddy or Mommy, can I go out and play with Jimmy? What is like if... if if this was, you know, my father, I could say, Dad, can I go drive the truck? Like, I could do anything growing up practically. And his response was always the same thing. Go ahead, son, just don't get hurt. That is the unknown will of God. Daddy, Daddy, can I go, you know, do this? Can I, can I go pursue this career? Can I, can I, you know, all those things. And I really believe at the heart of it is, is God says, yes, son and daughter, just don't get hurt. We have a lot of flexibility that God gives us the privilege to reason with him, to determine things. And it's all as, as long as he is first. Check out some of these verses, Matthew 6, 33. You guys know them. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these other things will be given unto you. Right? Proverbs 16.3 says, Commit to the Lord whatever you do, and your plans will succeed. Psalm 30, 37.4 says, Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. I mean, I always, like, everywhere I find these Proverbs, I see, put God first, and then he's going to orchestrate the rest, and he's going to bless it. It's a powerful truth. Amen, right? We're almost done. (laughs) Oh, man. I think where where we need to understand is that God invites us to, to reason with him for the details. I honestly think that God, God may not care, you know, of all those little details, but he cares about you. And that he wants you to have the best for your life. And I say with, 
the total fullness of knowing that my wife is the best wife on earth. And I'm sorry, I know that there's a war for that with Dave and Kat. But I think I have the best wife ever. And I believe that was God's best for my life. But honestly, I think that we, both Kim and I will say this, that we could have been married to other people and probably lived a fine life. There's nothing, no magnetic force that drew us together. I chose her because I felt that that was God's best for me. And we need to understand that when it comes to the God voice of the details of our life, that he will help guide and direct what may or may not be the best choice. We have the freedom to say, I want this guy or a girl, whoever it is. And we got to know that God may voice his opinion, but he's not going to stop. And he's not going to, he's not going to say, this is the will of the Lord. <laughs> That'd be cool if he did, but he doesn't. Isaiah 30 says, whether you turn to the right or to the left, your ears will hear a voice saying, this is the way, walk in it. I love it because God gives us so much grace that when we turn the left or to the right, do you notice how we had both options there? That he'll say, this is the way walking. That means as we take a step forward, we are going to hear God's voice directing and saying, that is the better way. That way, not so much. You can go there, and it might be okay, but God has his best in the gentlest of words. I like to think of it as like kind of the will of God by GPS. Like if you ever had like a GPS and you go off and it's like recalculating, you know? God always gives us an option to come back into purity, into redemption, into righteousness, into holiness. He always gives us a way back to be face-to-face with him, no matter what we do. All right. If nothing else tonight, know that the greatest freedom you have tonight is to know that you play a part in determining the will of God for your life. The greatest thing that you can take away is to know that you, right now, your decisions tonight, tomorrow, you've been called into reasoning the will of God for your life. You have that privilege. He's invited you to it. And don't, don't confuse dissatisfaction with the will of God. Some of us are like dissatisfied with our relationship with God. You know what? If you are dissatisfied with your relationship with God, there's one person to blame, and it is you. God is the only unchanging thing in this world. If we are dissatisfied with our relationship with God, we need to look at ourselves. We need to look at, man, what do I need to do? What, what do I need to change? What mentality needs to be corrected? Because God is, is unchanging. And we will never be satisfied with anything but Jesus. There'll always be a longing to do something else, to fill something else, to, to, to contort it, to, to manipulate it. And Jesus is saying, I will only be the thing that fully satisfies How do we have the power? Just read John 15, and it's the, I'm the vine, you are the branches. Abide. What does being connected to God look like for you? If you don't know what the unknown will of God for your life is, then change your schedule. When I was in college, and I was part of a group just like this, a guy challenged me, and he actually showed me this is the Bible to get. This is the same Bible I've had ever since. And he basically said, you spend one hour in this every day for 30 days, and at the end of it, tell me that you are not madly in love with God and who he is. He's like, the only person that's moved is you. God is continually responding and wanting to be closer and closer and closer. Now, why does that freak the living daylights out? And I'm going to end with this. 
I, based on my decisions and choices, can have as much of God as I want. I am as close to God as I choose. I hear from God as much as I choose to buy back my time to listen and to be available. It's not a question of if I want to hear from God, it's just how much. That frightens the living daylights out of me. How much do I want to hear from God? Oh, man. It's a, it's a huge, huge responsibility, but there's so much freedom to know that God... If I want to go farther, farther, deeper, if I want to experience more and more, if I live carefully, if I live purposefully, if I live power, powerfully, I can connect with you, I can have what I want, I can feel what's missing. How the band come up? I want you guys to not take my word for it. I'm just a schmuck with a microphone. Honestly. Honestly. It got me, got me. <laughs> no, that's right, that's right. But so are you, you guys. We're all trying to slap the lap, you know? You know? But I challenge you, you don't take my word for it. Don't, 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 don't take my word for it. Try and try and find, you know, you know that, that, that issue that you're oversaved or oversaved. Try and try and find the Lord of the bottom. It's not in here. God calls you to purity. He calls you to love others. God, God. He calls you to the right attitude. And the rest is right to seek me seek first. first. And the more and more we can do this together, it's awesome. awesome. We're just going to close, close this song. song. You guys, you guys all stand, let's just pray. Let's just pray. Thank you, Father, Thank you, Father, Father and I. Thank you, God, Thank you, God, that we have entrusted us to this, Lord. God, with, God, with trying, trying to interpret your scripture, Lord, trying, trying to come up with, with God, our prayers not forgetting today. And Lord, as we just, we just sing the song, and as we leave you here, Lord, I just pray that you would, would God, just release a new revelation on, on our role in determining, God, the outcome of our life. God, may our personal responsibilities and the personal consequences of our life, God, may we never stamp the will of God on that. God, liberate us from the blame of Christianity. Help us, Jesus, tonight. We pray that right now, Lord, that whatever decisions are facing us, that whatever choices that we have before us, that we'd be empowered to know that, Lord, yes, you want your best, but you allow us to reason in God that you think we have great ideas and you want to hear them. I pray, Lord, that more than ever right now, that every heart in this room would know how much the Father longs to hear the reasoning of this child. I pray that anybody who is hearing or is not hearing the voice and is longing for God to give instruction and longing for God to give direction and purpose, they would know that they are being ushered into a season where you want to co-mingle with them and bring out, Lord, the unknown will for our lives. Thank you, Lord, we play a part of it. Thank you, Lord, for your word, for Ephesians, God, for our study here. We thank you for our worship team. Lord, we pray in this, this last song we sing, Lord, that you just would do. Heart surgeon us, Lord, fix our hearts, move our hearts. 